Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. It's good to be here. Those who are gathered here with me and those who are watching online, uh, and I'm excited. Uh, 2020 is gone. Yeah. Into a new series this morning. Um, one I think is important to us uh, really, as we start a new year, one that, that we're going to entitle Vital Christianity. Now, I know that many of us might balk at New Year's resolutions, or at least I do, because I'm kind of cynical and mean like that. But uh, the New Year is a natural time to uh, analyze something, to, to, to adjust some things and uh, really surrounding life and faith. So, so we're always looking for, am I going to start the gym? Am I going to lose weight? But it, it's a really good time to look at other things as well, which is really going to be the direct aim of this series, looking and analyzing our faith, our life, and kind of seeing what's going on. Now, I haven't been very silent about it. If you've been listening in, in recent months, a, a real fear uh, of mine is that we will effectively, when I say we, I mean the, the church, that we will effectively kind of batten the hatches in our lives to kind of try and get through. Uh, that we'll uh, put our heads down and we'll kind of try and do our thing. Maybe we'll put our heads down and we're going to try and keep the bills paid and keep the family okay. Whatever your realm is, we're just trying to get these couple things done so that we can get through. So much so that we'll kind of retreat and punt on matters of the heart and that's my fear. Uh, That we'll kind of kick things down the line, uh, really high hiding behind the line of, well, when things get normal, I'll pick them back up. Normal, I'll pick them back up. And, and, and the, the faith that I live in, the cre- creation, that, or the Christianity that I live out will, will look more normal when life looks more normal. But here's the problem. The COVID era has lasted nine months. Uh, and even with the first round of vaccinations being rolled out, like literally as we speak, we have several people even in our church about to get second of the first round next week, even though that is happening, thank God that that is happening, we have at least probably six more months, if not more, still in store for us of this kind of COVID era, which means that the way that we walk out our faith and Christianity, especially if we're, if we're in that punting mode, uh, a year and three months to a year and a half will be altered greatly. Because of that, we're in a very real spot that we can fall into the, the, the danger that the Bible talks about all over, Old Testament and New. We're in a very real spot that we can walk into a place that we are going through the motions of our internally kind of doing and keeping up with a couple of things while internally we disengaged, distant, cold in our heart towards the God of the universe who's done so much for us. And it's, it's not really hard to see how maybe this could happen for us. Maybe you've been coming to, to services uh, weekly, or, or maybe you're watching online weekly, or, or maybe it's been bi-weekly, or, or, or maybe uh, for some it's slipped into to monthly or even bi-monthly, but this has kind of happened. And, and over time, the COVID numbers spike, and they went down, and they spiked again, and the holiday gauntlet kind of landed on us. Lo and behold, kind of after that, the opening of of our word, our Bible, to see the face of the Father over the week has just kind of stopped. Uh, And then listening to worship music at home to kind of stir the affections of our heart has has kind of stopped as well. And 
prayers alone or, or time of, of contemplation before God, that kind of has, has evaporated as well if it ever existed in the first place. And then we get to a place where we realize it's been not weeks, but months since we've repented or been cursed. It's been months since we felt the presence of Father, since we've been moved in any way, months since we felt the, the Father warm our hearts or, or, or uh, even do anything in our hearts. And even though we still have some kind of faith routines or some tenets or some beliefs that are, that are still existent as, as like scaffolding around our, our life, our hearts have become disengaged from the faith that we profess to walk in. And the love that we once had for the Father, uh, like the morning dew, has evaporated and it's just not there anymore. See, this series is all about that. How uh, do we fight to re-engage our heart if it needs be? And if your heart is engaged now, how, to, how do you fight to make sure it doesn't get disengaged later? How do we find what is vital in us and give ourselves to it so that we may find life? Not so that we don't feel bad about ourselves or, or so God doesn't smash us. We are fighting for our lives faith-wise. What's vital to the faith? How do I fight for it? And how will it bring me life in God? How, how will it rekindle the love that I first had? You, you may hear this and think, oh, okay, but I don't know if I know what you mean. I'm reading my Bible some and I kind of feel fine. Fair enough, and that may be true. But here's what I do know. What I even prayed about this morning, what, I, what I've seen in my own life, felt in my own life, seen in, in your lives, and heard from many other people, the last nine months have been the hardest fight that we've ever fought spiritually. It hasn't been pretty. Metaphorically, it's been bloody, and it's been ugly. This has been the hardest fight that we have ever fought. And, and when I talk about the hardest fight, I mean this is the hardest we've ever had to fight to engage our heart. That has been rough. Why? Because the temptation in grief is for us to fill our lives with something that we can grasp a hold of to give us a tinge of meaning and joy because everything else is a dumpster fire. In grief, it's really easy for this to happen. For some of us, it's been we've been drinking too much. Uh, for others, you find yourself online shopping all the time. If things hurt, life is hard, I'll buy this. Netflix binge after binge after binge. I love Netflix. I have Netflix. It's still a problem, though. Why? Because it's an easy way to disengage the heart for a very long time. Others are starting to romance hidden sins, believing that they've got it under control. And can I tell you, it's not under control. And all of us have felt the draw to zone out and just get time to pass by. All of us have. I don't care who you are. You've felt that. So acknowledging that reality of how hard it has been to engage our hearts, this series aims to equip us with rock-solid biblical truth for how we find life. These aren't going to be opinions. These are going to be biblical scriptures about how we participate in tenets of the faith that are absolutely vital and they bring us life. Most of these will be found from the minor prophets in the Old Testament. One will be in the new, but most all will be from the old. And most of them will come uh, to these minor prophets, and they're going to be written to, to God's people years ago who struggled greatly just like we do with falling into half-hearted Christianity, with zoning out, with going through 
the motions. For whatever the reason be, they struggled with this before Christ ever came, so we shouldn't be surprised that we do as well. Now, I want to be careful with these terms before we go too far, because when we hear words like half-hearted Christianity, we may get offended and have this little thing come up going, don't, don't you say that to me? Right, that, that, that indignation, like half-hearted Christianity, is really calling into, into question your, your character or your moral fiber. But if we are honest, we're really, really, really good at half-hearting things. Have you ever zoned out just to get through work? Every day becomes a Monday for you. I'm just trying to get through and not get fired. That's half-heartedness. You ever turn on the TV or turn to some interest instead of turning to your family or loved one? That's half-heartedness. Ever ignore a text from a friend that you know needs you, but you just don't care right then? That's half-heartedness. We easily fall into half-heartedness in tons of areas in our lives, so we have to stop assuming that our faith is one that we are just, we're not going to have that problem in. We're good at half-hearting all the things, including faith. If you wonder why that matters, listen this one a ton of bricks. Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. Ooh. Miserable to feel horrible about what they are. To get to the good stuff. I wonder if any part of that statement resonates with your heart this morning. Does guilt mark the way that your heart feels more often than anything else concerning God? Is your primary identity one that feels more like sinner than beloved child of God? Do you primarily feel dirty, broken, wicked, and like a disappointment where God just shakes his head and goes, why, why? Or do you feel like a blood bought Holy Spirit indwelt new creation that God will never let go. See, because a surefire way to build up guilt and misery is definitely to walk in sin. But it also comes when you try and walk in faith in a half-hearted way. Because in that way, we never get far enough to experience the fruit, to experience our Savior ministering to our hearts each and every day, to experience our Savior bear our burdens when he says, come all who, who, are, who are weary and I will give you rest, that we never experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit that blossoms inside of our lives. We never experience the well of unending grace, grace upon grace upon grace. Why? Because our hearts checked out too much to experience those things. You see, half-hearted Christianity may seem easier or more appealing to us at times. Right? We're, we're always bartering with ourselves and our time, and it may seem easier. Well, I could just half-heart this, and I can do all of these other things. And it may be, actually, half-hearted Christianity may be a path that you fall into, accidentally throws you a curveball, but half-hearted Christianity is exactly the thing that will keep you from reaching deep waters with God, from feeling the power and the presence of, of Emmanuel, the one that we talked about all over Advent, which means God with us, that you're not alone and he's working forming you, promising to never leave you or forsake you. Half-hearted Christianity is therefore kryptonite to your happiness and your holiness. Hear that. Not only will you be, you also won't be 
nearly as holy as you think you are. Not without your heart. We're going to look at Joel 2, verses 12 through 13. Only two verses for this one. And see what it says about the heart and faith. Verse 12, yet even now. I could have just sat under that one for a while this week. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Fasting with weeping and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And I love this text because it sits there unashamed and it gives you everything. It doesn't beat around the bush. It doesn't hide behind metaphor. There's some text that you, what does it mean? It maybe means this or this and possibly means this to me. No, there's, there's a very clear what this text has a what, when, a how, and a why. And it just lays them in of you and says, will you submit to these or not? Will you listen to these or will you walk away unmoved? Church, the prayer for my own heart and for you is, is that our hearts will respond to this text and not walk away from it. Before we do, um, I found myself thinking about this a lot this week. My, my oldest son, Judah, he's been playing baseball. So he's played t-ball for a couple years. He played coach pitch baseball and he played machine pitch uh, baseball as well. So we got, we got about four years in. It's been, it's been great. Uh, I love to volunteer to not coach, but help the coach of uh, the team. And, and thank the Lord we've uh, passed the initial t-ball phase because that's like herding cats. And Abel's, we're probably going to go back to herding cats because my, my youngest is four, so we're going to get back there. But still, each year to try and get all the kids to focus is insanely difficult. The, the phrases that the coaches yell so often are, pay attention, eyes up, watch the ball, where's your glove, put on your glove, stop kicking dirt, don't pick your nose. And the classic that fathers yell in almost disappointment in themselves, stop picking flowers over and over and over. And we say these things until we're blue in the face and pulling out our hair. Now, it's great that the boys being around eight years old in this last season, they know where some of the positions are now, so that's cool. Uh, and, and they have an idea that when you're in the field and someone hits the ball, you're going to try and catch it cleanly, and you're going to throw it to first base. Like It literally matters not at all where base runners are. They're just going to throw it to first base. They, they, they kind of get that. But here's what we've noticed. When the boys aren't batting, because you put a stick in a boy's hand and he'll pay attention, but when the boys are not batting, so when they're on defense and the game lasted over a year, they completely lose all ability to function. There's no whatsoever. The coaches begin adjusting what they kind of yell out. And this phrase, something like this happens over and over and over. Boys, be ready. Be ready out there. 
Ready, stance. Get down. Get ready, which, which means something like bend your knees, dude. Stand like you could possibly maybe do something athletic if required. With your, with your glove down, ready to kind of catch a grounder if it's hit to you. And after kind of all the coaches are yelling this out at like 10 times per kid, uh, maybe out of sheer uh, annoyance, but, but it kicks in. And the boys will do this odd thing where they, they squat down like, but to the ground and almost lay their entire arm on the ground and they'll just kind of look at you like, nailed it. Or they'll bend over awkwardly and their hand will touch the ground. Doing Is they're doing enough physically uh, to, to fulfill the task that you have given them, but there is clearly a 0% chance that they will ever catch a ball if it comes at them and there's a great chance they're going to get drilled if the ball comes at them. Now what's funny is they kind of think they're still doing it right. Like, what? They actually think that they're ready to go, but they're not. There's no chance that they're going to make a play. Their head and heart, here it is, are not in the game even if their bodies are playing a part. What I thought about this week is this scenario is perfect picture of our reality. We often get into or fall into, possibly without even knowing it. And the reality that we have to understand and stand on is there's a way to do something where your heart is not in it that results in an outcome that's completely counterproductive to you. Like you'd be better off if you did nothing than do what you're doing right there. This is definitely the case with faith trying to participate in your faith with your heart in, not in the game, not present, will not go well for you. And it won't go well for me either. And after a long 2020, it's possibly where you find your faith right now. I'll be honest, I've battled that many times over the last nine months. That's why I said it's been the the hardest fight that I've ever had spiritually is keeping the heart in the game during this season of grief. Many of us have this position where our body is, is on the field, metaphorically, in our faith, but our heart, our inner being is, is not there. If the case, these words from Joel are to you just as much as they are. They're to you just as much as they are to the people in the Old Testament, and the words are a clear call to action. If your heart's not in the game, return to me with all of your heart. Return. Hear these words and let the full weight press on you, though. Those who are half-hearted right now, those who are zoned out, those who are beaten up, those who are disengaged, disinterested, on autopilot, not in the game, those who are filled with doubt right now, those who are angry with God right now, those who are running after sins right now, those who are filling all of their waking moments with meaningless stuff, these words are for you and these words are for me. God declares... As in, he says directly to your ear, return to me with all of your heart. That's the what of the text, the call to action, the ask. Return. You see, God's people for all history, not just present age, have struggled with worshiping God in a way to honor or please him because it tries to worship him in body, but not in spirit and not in your heart. See, this type of worship all over the Old Testament that God hates. There are places that it literally says that that type of faith, where, where your actions are in, but your, your heart is out all over, that says that that type of faith is detestable to him. Why? Because 
it takes place without you ever really being in it. This is the, the definition of doing acts devoid of your heart in order to kind of navigate around God or earn some type of favor from God, but God doesn't want your actions without your heart. Jesus did not spill to buy robots. You get that, right? He gave his life for hearts and for souls. He gave all of himself to in turn get all of you. This is the scandal of the cross. The God, the Son, gave everything. Why? Because he wanted all He declares here, return with all of your heart. Now, we have to be clear, if the man is to return with all of your heart, that therefore means there's a way to return to God with a part or none of your heart. You realize that, right? Oh, I've been distant. Better go to church. Oh, I've been distant. Better do the thing. You can still do things without being in the game. Now, hear the urgency of the call to action given. Yet, even now. Like right now? Yeah, now. As in, don't wait, don't uh, don't normal seat returns or after a couple of big tasks on your task list are cleared off and you have more time, do it now, right now. If you ask, is now really that big of a deal? The text screams, yes, don't wait, return to the Lord. So we have a what, return to the Lord, and a how with all of your heart, and a when right now. We'll also get a why in a moment, but before we do, we need to dig deeper into the house so that we can understand it a little bit better. How do we return to the Lord? How do, we, how do we return with our whole heart, with, with all of our How do we run away from half-hearted Christianity and into uh, Christianity where, where our whole heart is? And how do we do that? I greatly profit from another pastor, Bob Thune, answering this question with, with three words, and I'll give those to you. Returning to the Lord is first volitional. What does that mean? It requires your will. I've had many circumstances where I get a little bit worried about us here at Redemption Hill because we are reformed in doctrine. We love to preach on God's grace that salvation is, as Jonah puts it, the work of the Lord. It's his doing. But here's the rub. Just because God acts first in salvation doesn't mean that we never do. And we've got that really mixed up somehow. Uh, because God's grace is primary doesn't mean that we always become sedentary and we don't do anything. God opens the door to salvation, yes and amen, and he kicks our booty through it, yes and amen. But after that, when you are saved, you're meant to strive, walk, move, try, and your will is involved. Your efforts, too. Another way to say it is the command to follow Christ isn't a command that you heeded one day upon your salvation alone. It's a call that you answer every single day, which your will to do so will be involved in that. The call to return to the Lord involves your will. You have to want to do it, and you have to fight and will yourself to do so. Second, returning to the Lord is emotional. It's not just an idea or a mental nod or a system of, of beliefs that you stack up in your mind. The text says, return to me with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. If you're, if you're hearing that and thinking, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Just like make it up? 
like manufacture all of these emotions. No, it's not literally saying do these things right this second or, or you're fired. It's showing you that returning uh, crosses over into things that touch your emotions. Right? Fasting isn't a diet. It's physically depriving your flesh from food with the goal of having your soul and your heart and your spirit built up by God. This definitely touches into your emotions, and it's easy to see how weeping and mourning are obviously emotional as well. Here, too, I know that this can cause us trouble. Some of us are afraid of emotions because of past scars. We've seen people over-emotionalize their faith, and we're like, I ain't doing that. And some are afraid of emotion because you just don't use them in your everyday life. So you're like, why would I use those in faith? But this is the calling for us to use appropriate emotional responses, ones that are fitting and good, not ones that are are, are manufactured, uh, over the top, overdone, and dramatic for the sake of, oh, watch how dramatic I can be. This type of emotion for me comes all in in corporate worship. Now, when I will myself to worship, when I do not feel like it, and I'm in God's presence in the middle of song, often the truth in the song and and the magnitude of Christ's love will just do something and they'll press on me in such a way where I just begin to weave. I don't sob all the time. I don't make a scene. I, I hope I don't ugly cry. But tears fill my eyes as the Lord ministers to me. In the magnitude of his power, there's just nothing I can do with it except my just my tear ducts turn on. Garrett knows, my wife knows, I used to hate those tears. Why? Because I was embarrassed. They felt awkward. They felt weird. I felt like I need to justify why I couldn't stop myself from crying. But now I just wipe them away and thank God that he hasn't left me. You don't have to do that. But your emotions should be involved. Friends, this is why it says, rend your, heart, rend your hearts and not your garments. To rend your garments was to rip them, right? So back then, that was a sign of, of grief or, or lament or mourning. So imagine a person, as they grieved, they felt so just overwhelmed that they take their top garment and they, they, they'd, they'd rip it as a sign of, of, of anguish. It's an outer sign of what's happening inside of them. My, 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 my garment is ripped like my heart is right now. But then also imagine a person seeing something, a person seeing something that was uh, supposed to be grieving, but out of the habit, they're like, oh, and they just kind of rip their shirt. So sad. This is what it's talking about. The author is warning you about going through faith in a way that just kind of does things, right? Do you sit in worship? You're like, oh, hand up, hand down, sit down, up. Like, be careful about becoming robotic and doing things just because they're what you've been taught by other people to do, but your heart isn't involved in the process, This is a warning. Do not let outward signs replace inward realities. Now, some people would be, okay, well, does that mean if I'm not into it, just don't ever do anything? No, sometimes you need to fight in your will, but just make sure that you're not faking all of things. Your heart has to be involved, not just your clothing is what Joel was saying. And they literally have people all the time ah, ripping their clothes and doing certain things to, to pretend that their heart was involved. And the author's going, your outward signs are not a sign of what's going on in you. 
They're not a true representation. If you don't know how to do this or how to get there uh, and see today, man, my, my emotions are, are, are not I- I involved in, in my faith, then what's the play? That, the play is to turn to God and ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. To help you appropriately experience emotions surrounding your faith, to soften your heart, to shape you even in your emotions. God, something's wrong. You've done so much, and, and, and I'm not moved by it, and I'm not stirred by it, and, and my heart isn't pointed in any direction by it. I need you. Will you awaken, and will you soften my heart and teach me what it's like to be involved with my heart in my faith? I don't know how. God, will you help me? That's your play. The third is return, returning to the Lord is personal. It's volitional, it's emotional, and it's personal. You have to do it. I can't look at Garrett and say, will you weep and mourn for me today? Because I just don't really want to do it. Will you put my whole heart in for me? Because I'm not into it. Your mentor can't rend your heart. Your pastor can't. Your MC leader, your mama, your grandma, nobody can rend your heart for you. It's you and you alone who can return to the Lord for you because returning to the Lord is a form of repentance. Only you can repent. There's a way to do public repentance together, but in the matter of your heart, it's all you. It's also all me. You're the only one who can return for yourself. You're the only one who can do that. Now for the why. Return to the Lord your God because. Because he'll hate you if you don't? No. Because he's gracious and he's merciful. Return to him because he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That means this. If you ever wonder, could God possibly have any more love for me after what I've done and all the things that I've failed to do? After I time and time again make promises to him and, and I, I genuinely mean that time I'm going to keep it and, and then I don't. While I give my heart to other things all of the time, while I kind of hide mine from, from him or give him the, the, the least amount, could he possibly still have love for me? The text says yes. Why? Because he's overflowing with love. He's steadfast in his love. There's an abundance of love. Even if we are fickle or we are flighty towards him, he's not for us. See, that's why the language of covenantal love is so beautiful in the Bible. And it's language really relating to kind of a contract. God holds fast to his end of being our God and never letting us go and loving us, even when we don't hold up to our end of the deal very well. What does that mean biblically? In the contract of our relationship, it means God fills both sides, his and yours. He is steadfast, overflowing. We believe that we'll be loved as long as we're God loves us because he's loving and has chosen so. He fulfills all sides of it. So return to him because he's good. If you hear all this and think, okay, got it. 2021, manhandle your heart. Work really hard to put all your heart in it. Muster the ability to, to fix it all right now. Be emotional, be sincere, will it, make it happen, make it personal. That's still not really what the author is asking for. 
hear me because this is extremely important. Turning to the Lord is not synonymous for fix yourself by yourself. You hear me? Have you been trying to fix your heart for a really long time on your own? Your affection on your own? To return to the Lord is to come to him and acknowledge your faults. Acknowledge where you've gotten off. You've been on autopilot in that your heart isn't in it. And in that very spot, ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that right now. Of course, your will will be involved after that as you walk away. But you cannot return to the Lord by trying to do so without the Lord. And yet we do it all the time. I'm going to fix it. I'm going I'm to I'm prove. I'm going to do it. If that's what you're doing right now, actively trying to shape your own heart, Shape your own actions, shape your own affections all by yourself. Here's the, here's the kind of aha moment that others have helped me with. You are trying to be the Holy Spirit. You're trying to do the whole work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you, which is miserable, exhausting, guilt-filled, and here's the other beautiful part of it. It's always a failure. Come to the Lord, with the Lord. Acknowledge what has happened. Ask for his help, not walking alone. One of the biggest things for us to remember about God is all that he requires, he also supplies in Christ. Now, there can be times where you hear that, and you're like, that's a nice little cliche saying, but then if you really let it hit, Everything that he requires, he doesn't say, so go do it on your own. Everything that God requires, Christ has already done and will help you with. All the requirements, he meets them for you in Jesus. How how do we see that? Jesus is the only one who's never been half-hearted in his faith. He's the only one that's never zoned out. He's the only one who always been devoted and and never mailed it in, and yet the only one who was not half-hearted was hung on the cross for you. Jesus was treated as if he were wayward, as if he was half-hearted, even though he was the only one with the perfect obedience. This means something, though. It means when you see your half-heartedness, that you don't have to try and crucify yourself in shame for it. Why? Because the king of glory already stepped in and was crucified for you for it. He took the punishment. Therefore, your requirement is to turn to him and ask for help. To ask the only one who did it right to cover you and, and teach you so that you may return with all of your heart now to the God who has always given you all of his. Now, I want to be just super careful to make sure that this isn't so airy that we don't know what to do with it. This type of grace doesn't mean pray today, walk away, do nothing. I feel like, man, Holy Spirit, just I just feel that I'm the half-hearted one, okay? Pray, walk out, change nothing. That won't help. What the text is asking is asking for you to pray today, knowing that when you failed, there's still mercy. 
And then when you're filled up with that mercy, understand that there's some things in your life that you're probably going to have to readjust to have your whole heart in your faith after that. And Blake did a great job with his Advent message. I feel like I'm on the, the coattails of that right now. If time is an issue that's keeping your heart out of your faith, then that means after you pray and ask for help today, then that means you need to take a radical look at how you're spending your time and returning to the Lord probably looks like a change of pace and schedule for you. To sit here and know, okay, time's the issue. Oh God, help me. And then you change nothing about your time is just saying you have no will to change. If there's something that's stealing your affection and your love all the time, then it probably means that that thing needs to be set aside for a time. Returning to the Lord might mean laying aside something that has stolen your affection and heart and you just can't control it right now. If your job constantly does something that paralyzes your heart, then it may be time to ask for help or get a new job. Even writing that, I feel the tension of that statement. Because it sounds over the top, right? It sounds inconceivable. What are the words in the Gospels? What good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? The point is this. Don't try and fix yourself in your half-heartedness alone through action. But also don't think that you'll fix your half-heartedness by doing nothing either. See, God has supplied the perfect Savior, the only one who, who knew how to not be half-hearted. So go and ask him. Ask him to show you, help you learn. And that going isn't metaphorical either. Literally pray today, even now, we're going to give you some time for this so that you may return with all of your heart to the Savior who's already, already given you all of his. He's all in. He's there. This is the first message in vital Christianity, a faith that leads to life. And I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you however he may need to this morning so that your heart will be fully involved in your faith and so that you might find great joy and happiness in Christ. Remember that quote, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough to feel guilty, but they never have gone far enough with Christ to be happy. The hope of returning to vital Christianity is so that you find Christ. Not happiness in you, peace about doing your own thing without him, so that you find happiness in Christ. It's my hope for all of us that we go far enough this year to find happiness in him. Maybe that we go farther than we ever have before. And as I close in prayer, Garrett, you can come back up. I'd invite you to pray with me. When I close in a couple minutes, I don't want you to to think about lunch or think about my prayer or maybe bow your head and pray your own prayer, asking God to do whatever he needs. If your heart's been in the game, thank him that he's held you so close and ask him not to let go. If your heart's been out of the game, ask him to help.
Friends, I, I sincerely hope, and I was praying about this and talking to Garrett about this this morning. I pray that 2021 would be the year that we, we would say, man, I didn't hold any part of my heart back from God. I found him fully, and he did things that I never expected to. Wouldn't that be like him to turn the roughest year into the best year for your heart? That's my hope for us. I hope that the Spirit would work in you through that, that you would want it, and you reach out to him and not trying to do it alone. We'll take communion as we close uh, in, in worship. You can take it at any point that you want. But 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he get, and when he had given thanks, he said, uh, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Friends, I, I think that's what we need to hear when we realize our heart has been distant. Because what we're asking is, is there still a sacrifice? And from Jesus's own words, "This is my body; it's for you." But what about? No, no, no this is my body; it's for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember that there's a sacrifice given for you. Proclaim to your heart and each other that there's a good Savior who's done much. Pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to have your heart be involved in your faith more than it has been before. I pray that we would do that and that we would find life goodness through that. Will you stand and pray with me? Father, I pray that you would do your work. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come draw near. You draw close to our heart, that you would work in our heart. Lord, that we wouldn't put things off, that we would hear the text yet even now. that we would return. That guilt and shame wouldn't cause us to wait. That anxieties wouldn't cause us to stay away. That a task list wouldn't cause us to avoid you. That we wouldn't be paralyzed by any type of fear or grief or anxiety, but that we would run closer to you. God, may we return. All of our heart for the only one that can Father, I pray, however, we need that you would show us what some of the barriers are for our heart. You would show us how to fight well. That maybe we begin to diagnose the state of our heart earlier this year instead of maybe addressing the issue when it's a month out that we begin to see when our hearts are disengaging earlier and ask for you to help us. I pray that you would. And I thank you for your steadfastness, even when we are not. So kind. Speak to your people, Father. Holy Spirit, don't let us walk without you. Forgive us for the times we tried to take your place. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and your goodness. Thank you that you have provided all things that we can. May we rest in that. May our hearts be overjoyed in that. Spirit, come. We love you.